And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Pastor Al Baker. And Al, it's wonderful to have you on with us today. Thank you, Dan. It's great to be with you as well. You're an evangelistic revival preacher. You work with Reformed Evangelistic Fellowship. And the other day you put out uh, one of your letters called Forget None of His Benefits. And it it was titled uh, Words of Hope for 2022. So I can't think of a better thing to talk about today, the, the very first day of the new year. Uh, Al Baker, uh, tell us what's on your heart. Well, Dan, you know, we've known each other for quite a while now. And uh, I guess probably since the early... The late, excuse me, the late 1970s, I've had a real burden for revival. Reading uh, years ago, Arnold Dallimore's two-volume set on the life of George Whitfield, and that really moved me and challenged me to pray for revival in our country, to labor for it, to read about it, and so forth. And so that's always been on my heart, and of course, I think all of us would would recognize that we're in serious trouble today in our country. I just heard today that um, from one guy on the radio that uh, in his particular industry, the price of steel uh, has gone up, will go up something like 60% oh. the 1st of January. Uh, and this is putting a tremendous hardship on people. Uh, you know, people who have a lot of money, they can weather things like this. But the working man and the poor really struggle with this sort of thing. And it's uh, it's the inflation is is a runaway inflation. It reminds me of what we had in the mid to late 1970s. So yes. here we are again, and that's just one example of, uh, of the real hardship that people are facing today. Now, sometimes, Pastor Al, people start thinking, oh, it's, it's so much worse today than it was years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and you kind of addressed that in the beginning part of your article. Mm-hmm. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, I find it fascinating that the Apostle Paul, in writing to the Philippians in chapter 2, refers to his generation as a crooked and perverse generation. And so uh, he said that back then, and of course we look at our generation today and we say, oh yeah, we are a crooked and perverse generation. Mm. And, you know, I think we, we tend to think, wow, I wish we could get back to the good old days of, uh, you know, 200 years ago or longer when our nation was founded. It was founded with, you know, so many Christians and so forth. And so we, but no, it was, it was, it was crooked and perverse back then as well. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, for example, just to give you a couple of ideas, uh, um, George Washington was inaugurated as our first president in 1789, which is the uh, just a couple of months before the storming of the Bastille in Paris, which brought about the French Revolution, which was an mm. atheistic uh, revolution that eventually ended up in the thousands of people dying at the guillotine. Yes. So uh, and so, you know, that's kind of where we were at the time. And then, and then, you know, I'm, I would imagine some of your listeners are are certainly aware of the Great Awakening, and that was a mighty movement of God that started around 1735 in Northampton, Massachusetts. It kind of waned a little bit, but then it picked up again in 1741, an amazing movement of God. It went on for, you know, 10, 15, or 20 years, 
and it it really transformed our our early our early country and was a was a significant player as it were in uh, the founding of our our nation sure but but still you know by by the time washington was inaugurated we were we had turned away from that we a lot of our people were really imbibing if you will of uh the uh the philosophy the atheistic philosophy of uh, the Marquis de Sade and uh, Voltaire and Jean-Jacques Rousseau of France, mm-hmm. and uh, and and so that was the Enlightenment, the French Enlightenment. So uh, you know, our nation was founded on this this uh, city on a hill Puritan vision sure. of John Winthrop of 1630, and so it really started well. But again, even after the Great Awakening, there was a a, a great turning away uh, from God and. And because of that, there was just rampant uh, evil. Uh, it's hard to believe that really at that time our nation only had about five million people or so. <laughs> but um, you know, from what I read, this is shocking. But at least three hundred thousand people were were confirmed alcoholics, and something like mm. um, several thousand a year were dying from alcoholism. Mm. So, you know, major problems like that, and uh, bank robberies began to be a daily occurrence. And, uh, you know, really, probably for the first time in our nation's history, women were afraid to go out at night by themselves to walk mm-hmm. on the streets. And you know, there were whole counties in Kentucky, which at that time was sort of a wilderness, kind of the, the modern frontier, if you will. Um, it was just... Uh, just had unbelievable crime and uh, wickedness, and you had evangel uh, uh, you had um, uh, justice being done by uh, people who really weren't in control. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, you know a lot of that was going on, and then even even a lot of the denominations were were struggling. Uh, word I was looking for is vigilante justice, but so yeah. you know like the Lutheran Church and the Methodist Church was was struggling and. Uh, Presbyterians were struggling, and everybody was was you know losing membership and trying to figure out what to do, and and then godless people um, uh, were rejoicing, thinking, "Well, the church is almost done." Thomas Paine, who was an atheist, uh, really believed that, and even uh, you know, like at some of our universities, which started uh, you know, a few years before, like Princeton in uh, Yale and Dartmouth and so forth, there was only one or two confirmed Christians in each of these schools, and they were founded to be uh, training grounds for ministers of the gospel. Oh, my. So that, that's, uh, that's, that's what was facing us and in the you know, 1770s and 1780s, right in that area. So, you know, again, people love to look back, oh, the good old days. Well, <laughs> you know, there was a lot of problems back in those so-called good old days. Yeah, that's a good point, and uh, I, I fall into that trap as well, so thanks for bringing that out. Um, you mentioned uh, a time here a little bit before that where Jonathan Edwards was in Northampton, Massachusetts. Can you mm-hmm. describe him to us a little bit? Yes, he was born in 1703 uh, to a minister, uh, a minister and his wife. Uh, he lived in uh, Connecticut, where I used to be, where I first met you year, many years ago. And um, he, he uh, in about 17, when he's about 23 or 24, he 
became the associate pastor of the Congregational Church there in Northampton, Massachusetts. His grandfather, Solomon Stoddard, was the pastor, and a few years later, um, Stoddard died, and so uh, Jonathan Edwards took over, and he was uh, a tremendous scholar, uh, a great philosopher. Many have suggested that he's uh, the first and greatest American philosopher we've ever had, and yet Mm. he was also very firmly committed to the scriptures and to preaching the word of god and um again he saw revival in 1735 in his hometown again in the early 1740s but uh it began to wane you know particularly in mid to late 1740s and he began to be very concerned about what was happening and he he uh was reading and found out that uh john erskine who was a Presbyterian in Scotland, was concerned about the same thing. Hmm. Because, again, there had been uh, George Whitfield and others had been preaching in in England, Scotland, and Wales, and had been seeing a great movement of God, but it had waned considerably. And so John Erskine was urging people across denominational lines and ethnic lines and so forth to begin earnestly to pray for revival and that God would do a great work unlike uh, not unlike what he had done earlier. And so Edwards was reading about that and he decided that he would join in with John Erskine and I jokingly say that uh, uh, Edwards decided to write a very very short gospel tract on the issue the, the very short gospel tract, uh, was 200 pages long, <laughs> <laughs> no. and, uh, and in characteristic 18th century fashion, the title was about as long as the book itself. And <laughs> the title, uh, the, the literal title is, A Humble Attempt to Promote Explicit Agreement and Visible Union of All God's People in Extraordinary Prayer for the Revival of Religion in the advancement of Christ's kingdom on earth, pursuant to Scripture, promises, and prophecies. So that's the <laughs> title to his short 200-page gospel Oh, that's tract. great. I love that title. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it was powerful, and what happened was he was urging people to gather together once a week. Many of the people gathered together on Saturday nights across the country, and again in, in the, well, it's now the United Kingdom, and uh, prayed on Saturday night, some prayed on Sunday morning, and uh, and asking God to do what he had done before, a great movement of the Spirit of God. And uh, this started about 1748, and then uh, again, some, what, 30 years later, still revival had not yet come, that was 1789. But in 1792, which was actually one year after the great revivalist uh, John Wesley died, the revival began to come. The Holy Spirit mm. began to bring conviction of sin through the preaching of the gospel. We now refer to that as the Second Great Awakening. It started about 1792, as some people think, and it went about to 1863, uh, you know, nearly, uh, what, 70 years That's of a long revival. Time. Yeah. And it made an amazing impact uh, on our nation, and I've often spoken of the Fulton Street Revival, which was part of that in New York City. It's, it began in 1857, mm-hmm. and it was a prayer movement, and at the height of that revival, 
in New York City alone, there were about 10,000 people a week coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Mm. And uh, yes. I've often said too, and I've often said too that you know revival always does a few things. It always brings uh, um, renewal to Christian people. They they have they they're renewed in their faith. There's a boldness. There's a joy. But there's also many many conversions, and we certainly saw that in the Second Great Awakening. This is very important. And today we're talking with Pastor Al Baker, and he's um, studied and actually preached revival messages, and you've done street preaching, and um, God has given you a boldness, um, Pastor Al. Um, We're talking today about Words of Hope for 2022, uh, an article that, that Pastor Al has written, and it's part of a series he writes called Forget None of His Benefits. Pastor Al, if someone would like to sign up for that, how would they go about doing so? Well, they would just need to Google uh, that, that title, Forget None of His Benefits, and the, the website will pop up, and mm-hmm. uh, they, can, they can see it there, and they can register. And uh, love to have people join in. That'd be great. Yeah, and you can contact us here at the station. We'll forward you that address as well. Now, um, when, when God moves in revival, um, sometimes those of us who have been Christians for a while can become critical, overly critical. We might say, oh, but they're so imperfect. Oh, but they're from a different denomination, whatnot. Does that happen often? Yeah, I think that's a... Uh, I think I think Christians can often have a you know what we might call a parochial mindset. Yeah. Uh, you know they want to kind of guard their own turf, and they don't. You know if they're Methodist, they don't necessarily want to mix with the Baptists or Presbyterians. Mm-hmm. Want to mix with the you know, Baptists, whatever. And what God always does in revival is He He removes that, mm. and uh, so much of now now again, you know. Pure doctrine is important. Uh, I mean, obviously, we, we've got to believe the Scriptures are the Word of God. Sure. You know, we need, to, we need to believe and hold to the Trinity and uh, the two natures of Jesus Christ and His death uh, on the cross and His resurrection, and that He's the only way uh, to, to the Father. No you doubt bet. about that. But, you know, we can disagree on what I call secondary and tertiary issues. Uh you know the, the the form of church government is mm-hmm. is not that important, or how we worship. You know, some like contemporary uh, church music with electric guitars. Some like organs, and some like acapella music, and they love to sing the old hymns. Sure. And uh, you know, we all have our preferences, but at the end of the day, um, those things are really secondary. Uh, you know, sometimes people uh, will argue over. The, for, the mode of baptism, mm-hmm. or should we baptize infants, or only baptize believers, and and you know those, you know, there's there's a place for that kind of discussion, but certainly it's not the most important thing. And I think mm-hmm. we have to lay aside those secondary and tertiary issues. Particularly, we ought to be joining together in earnest prayer um, across those lines. And for example, in Birmingham, where I live now, we have a real burden for prayer for our city. And a lot of your listeners might know that uh, Birmingham has a very sordid past. Uh, in the 1950s and 60s, 
we were the center of uh, segregation and uh, uh, lots of killing. Well, they call, used to call it Bombingham, not Birmingham, Bombingham. There oh, were so many bombings. And, uh, you know, and on September 15th, 1963, uh, there was this horrible bombing of the 16th Street Baptist Church at Four little black girls were were killed in that. It's just horrible. Oh dear! And uh, so Birmingham has that uh, that uh, that that reputation from the past, and yet now it's really beautiful to see that across denominational and ethnic lines, we gather together and pray. And uh, we've done this for the last several years, but uh, we're we're starting back up in January. Just had a meeting yesterday about it, and. We're going to have uh, prayer meetings uh, around the city of Birmingham every Saturday morning, and then we have one on Wednesdays at noon uh, for business people and so mm. forth. And, uh, you know, praying for God to pour out His Spirit and to do a great work. And, and our, 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 our belief really is that God's going to bring revival, and we, Amen. We, we, tend, we tend to think it's going to start here because, again, of our sordid past. and. You know, God would get great glory if he'd bring revival in a place that had been so um, desperately wicked in the past. So that's kind yes. of our hope and prayer. Oh, this is wonderful. Um, in your article, today we're talking with Pastor Al Baker. You recount the days of King David mm-hmm. and how he responded to his failings and how he beseeched God. Can you uh, recount that for our listeners? Yes, I think it's very instructive on revival, because a lot of times when I preach or, or teach on revival, we'll have a Q&A session, and people say, well, do you, do you really think God's going to bring revival? And I say, well, obviously, I don't know. I mean, but we pray for it. We expect it. And uh, and I said, it's it's like King David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba and then had her husband Uriah the Hittite murdered. Hmm. Then uh, their their child, uh, by that illicit union, became very sick, and David prayed, and David fasted, hmm. asking God to heal the child. And he pretty much neglected all of his kingly responsibilities in order to pray and really seek the Lord for the— for the healing of his child, and and then um, he's praying for several days, and uh, he notices that his attendants are there, and uh, David looks up for I guess from his knees, and and he says the child is dead. Is that right? And they said yes, he is. Mm. So what does David do? He he gets up, he washes his face, he anoints his head, he changes clothes, and he goes into worship. And I think that's the way we have to be. We we seek him. We seek him earnestly for revival. You know, in uh, Jeremiah twenty nine, it says, uh, uh, "Those who, uh, if you call upon me uh, and pray to me, I will li- I will listen to you. You will seek me, and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. I Amen. will be found by you," declares the Lord. So there's that great promise that He will hear if we seek Him earnestly. But at the same time, we don't have any guarantee that he's going to bring revival. So that means that we pray, we fast, we seek God, we live in repentance before him, and expect him to bring revival. But in the meantime, if he doesn't bring it, we must go on with our daily lives. David, again, got up, Mm -hmm. changed his clothes, and went about his business. And we have to do that as well.
Yes, yes. I wonder too, Pastor Al, if um, the the problems that we see in America, which are which are major major problems, are somehow tied to uh, us, tied to the church not being what the church should be. Have you seen, for example, churches that are filled with people that confess, but you know, there's power plays and cheating and all that going on. I mean, it's got to grieve the heart of God. Yes, that's true. Uh, I think that's that's very rampant in the church. And, of course, it's it's within all of us. All of us are capable of that same yes. thing. And so we always have to be very vigilant. But, um, yeah, there's uh, – and that does grieve the Holy Spirit. And, you know, we're told uh, – uh, Paul the Apostle says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit with whom you've been sealed right. in the day of redemption. And he says in, in Ephesians and in First Thessalonians, he says, do not quench the Holy Spirit. So, we, you know, Martin Lloyd-Jones used to say that uh, the Holy Spirit is a person. He's the third person of the Godhead, and a person can be offended. Mm-hmm. And so when we sin and, and, and we continue an unrepentant sin, then the Spirit is grieved, and we can lose, as Lloyd-Jones used to say, his presence and his power. Mm-hmm. He's, still, he's still in us. We're, we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit when we're born again, but we can lose that, that, uh, that unction, that anointing, that power, that efficacy in our daily living. And so it's very important that we be very quick when God points out our sin to repent. Mm. And to acknowledge it, and to and to and if necessary, to make restitution, to apologize to our spouse or uh, you know our children, our parents, whatever the case might be, and ask for forgiveness. And and you know again, God is gracious; He'll forgive, and we move. Then we move forward. When we mess up, it's a lot easier to ask for forgiveness right away, and and admit our wrong than it is to let it fester, isn't it? That's true, and uh, I know from my own personal experience, you know, in, in, in my flesh, and I think most people are like this, we have, we have pride, and we don't want to admit that we're wrong. We want to put the blame on somebody else, and that's never, that's never helpful. It's never productive. And, you know, the amazing thing is that um, if we come clean with Jesus, he does forgive us. And besides that, we're not fooling him. God sees what's going on, right? I mean— <laughs> You know, so we're better off just surrendering to him and saying, God, you win. I see it as sin. Would you Mm. forgive me? And he's quick to forgive and he's quick to restore. Mm. I think that's what we have to continue to remember. Today we're talking with Pastor Al Baker. We're almost done. Al, I see you've written a number of books here. One is Seeking a Revival Culture. And another another is evangelistic preaching in the 21st century. Someone might say, hey, wait a minute, he's a Presbyterian-type guy. What is he talking about, evangelistic preaching? You ever get a response like that? Yeah, I get it all the time, actually. <laughs> and it's unfortunate because I get it. I mean, I understand why they, they think that way. But, yeah, it's unfortunate because, you know, 100 years ago or there's, there was powerful Presbyterian oh, sure. evangelistic preachers, you know. Sure. <laughs> but um, so I'm I'm hoping that we'll see more of that. And uh, we've got I've got a, a new book coming out with Ryan Denton, who's a really really good open air preacher uh, called the the Reformed Evangelist. It's going to be coming out probably in the next couple of days. I oh, think. neat. Uh, yeah, so that's going to be a really I think helpful book for not just for. Uh, 
evangelists or pastors, but for lay people who really want to see God do an amazing work of revival. And it always he always uses evangelists. Uh, he always uses preachers and one-on-one at street evangelists, that kind of thing. So yeah. we're praying that God will really use the book. Well, our guest today has been Dr. Al Baker, and he is a preacher, and his heart is with revival and evangelistic preaching. And Pastor Al, if someone wants to look you up, you said all you got to do is Google Forget None of His Benefits. That's Forget None of His Benefits, and there you'll be able to sign up and get on the weekly email list so you can get that devotional. It's a wonderful devotional. Uh, Pastor Al Baker, my brother, thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much, Dan. God bless you and look forward to talking to you again. You bet. And Happy New Year to you. Thank you. Same to you and yours. (laughs) Dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer. Let your kingdom come And your will be done Right here on the earth like it is in Lead on, O God of mine.